Hey everybody, this is Joseph, one of the pastors at the First Presbyterian Church of Flint, and I wanted to welcome you to our sermon podcast. Each week, this show features the latest sermons preached here at First Pres, and we hope that they encourage you in your faith and work as you listen. This fall, we're preaching a 10-week series of sermons called When Religion Fails, and we're using Jesus' teachings and parables from the Gospel of Luke to reconsider what it means to truly follow Christ. Here's this week's sermon. Gospel of Luke. And if you recall from the very beginning of the Gospel story, Luke has the spotlight fixed upon this one named Jesus. The child whom shepherds guard and angels sing come as fulfillment of the ancient promise given Israel the one through whom God's tender mercy would dawn, breaking like the warming rays of the sun on the horizon of a world steeped in fear and disease and hunger, abuse, violence, death, injustice, to push back, to push back the grim shadows and guide the feet of all people into the way of peace and wholeness, the way of abundant life, Jesus. The one blessed with with healing in his wings to restore leprous flesh to that of a newborn. The one to be so full of God's power that that even the fringe of his garment when touched would would clot the flow of blood and, and make the wounded whole. So full that his his breathy words over a dead girl, Yalda Kumi, could reanimate her with life. So full that the words of welcome and forgiveness spoken to sinners set their feet to skipping and their hands to clapping with joy as they danced down a new path in life. Jesus. The one blessed with such keen insight that in his gaze, minds and hearts were laid bare. And with such a grasp on the word of God that his teaching, like a two-edged sword, divided crowds, stirring the longing to glorify God while vexing the complacent to cry out, blasphemy. From the beginning of his gospel story, Luke holds in the spotlight this one named Jesus who acts with goodness, authority, but did attend to it rightly with justice, mercy, with humility. In the same spirit as Jeremiah, as we heard today, Jesus spoke to them. Beware you in positions of power who pull the strings for your own advantage. Beware you corrupt shepherds who have scattered my sheep with fear and confusion. God's judgment is at hand. Beginning, the middle, the 
end of, of Luke's good news story centers on Jesus, lauded by angels and men, women, children, shepherds, fishermen, rogues, sinners, good religious folk, political zealots, Roman soldiers, Jewish disciples, despised foreigners, lauded to be Lord, son of David, son of God, anointed one, the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, the King. What a strange way for Luke to end the story. Jesus, the King, belittled by the powerful, political and religious leaders' scorn, military might mocks, and derided by those suffering the same disgraced end as his. Jesus, in the hands of the world's powers, seems nothing more than another wannabe, another loser caught up in self-bravado who, who had a good run but found out finally who was really boss. The once mighty and towering oak is now withering, leafless, with no fruit left to feed even a single squirrel. This spat upon, beard plucked, beaten, bruised, bloodied man is led outside the city walls to the garbage dump where he is stripped naked, pinned up on a stake between criminals and gawked upon with disdain, counted among the riffraff of society, the dregs of humanity clothed only in shame, he hangs there, midair, gasping for breath. His body exposed to the elements, his spirit ripped asunder, that such humiliation could be inflicted upon any human being, let alone himself. His wounded, bleeding, heaving body, continuing to absorb the jeers and taunts, pummeling him from below, twisting the knife slowly. His heart breaking even more as he, as he gazes upon the people nearby, the ones not dicing for his clothes, not making sport of him, but those simply standing by, watching. His heart breaks, not because they weren't putting up a fight to save him, not because he felt abandoned by them, but because they stood there watching with drooped shoulders, furrowed brows, somber countenances because the pain etched in their faces and crushing their spirits he, he took up into his own suffering. How did they watch, I wonder? Was it with anticipation? 
Were they watching for some miracle to happen, from the, for the sky to rip open and the heavenly cavalry to ride in and rescue Jesus and endow him with supernatural powers with which he could turn the tables on all those who dared do this to him, Pilate and the Romans, the Jewish leaders and the assembly who cried their murderous chant, crucify, crucify him? Was it with anticipation? The crowd watched as they stood there gazing upward at the writhing spectacle, watching closely for a sign that God was again intervening to deliver the oppressed. Or maybe it was wonder. Was it with wonder the crowd stood there gawking in disbelief that the life of this man filled with such miraculous power, with charisma, compassion, and goodness, could come to an end in such an abrupt and inglorious way. Where were the fiery chariots that escorted Elijah up to heaven? If anyone else deserves such a grand departure as that, it is this man, Jesus. For this righteous man to have his world end, not with a bang, but with a whimper, is but another tragedy, another sign that the world has gone completely mad and that God has left us to suffer the fruits of our follies. Was it with wonder? The crowd watched as they stood there gazing upon the curiously woeful ending of this righteous man, wondering, how could this be? Anticipation? Wonder? Or maybe they were grieving. Maybe they were standing there grieving. Was it with grief they stood by watching? I, I think it was. I think the crowd standing by were grieving Jesus dying. Apart from the others around that cross, the merciless soldiers, the proud religious leaders, the guilty criminals, Luke tells us of other people being there. He shows us no faces. He gives us no names, no identifying descriptions, except that they were there, standing, not saying a word, just watching this man, Jesus, who they found to be so different from all the others, dying. I mean, he was not proud. His interactions with people were not that of one aloof, philosophizing eloquently from the security of an ivory tower, but rather of one humble of heart, who up close and personally showed them that they, too, were loved and loved by God. Unlike the way of soldiers whose position over them was to keep them in check, whose presence among them was to be a reminder of who had the power, his way was to meet people where they were and to show them mercy. And Jesus' actions toward all persons were always just. 
He was not one to manipulate power or truth in order to get his way. Rather, he submitted freely to even those holding authority, both Rome and temple. He did not raise an army to overthrow Roman rule, nor did he undermine temple authority. He submitted to them in the synagogue, before the Jewish assembly, before the high priest, before Herod, before Pilate, and in submitting, he revealed the very present reality of a deeper, a purer, an unshakable justice working in contrast to the cramped, cockeyed, and slippery justice meted out by the world's power brokers. His was never about using power for the purpose of maintaining the seat of power in order to control the reins and dole out revenge on those resisting him. Rather, he used power to bring about restoration, renewal, to forgive. His power he used to serve all others freely. This was the man Luke has portrayed throughout his gospel story. Jesus, the, the one holding all the power and, and choosing to live as a servant among us. The one who submitted to worldly authorities. Not to curry their favor in order to justify himself to the world, but to reveal a justice and power at work which, which no worldly authority or power could ever, ever hinder or usurp. Jesus, the one holding all the power who chose not to manipulate the masses to revolt, but rather revealed to them the way of living in the world, no matter the form of government they live under, no matter the situation they find themselves in, whether at ease or in distress, no matter the hypocrisy of religious blowhards or politicians or fickle masses. And this is the very one who those nameless, faceless, unidentified people standing there watching were grieving. Jesus, the king, hanging in agony with every gasp, drawing him one breath closer to death. What a strange way to end the story. Just another dying man. Just another dying savior. Another king losing his throne. And the hope-filled world of those silently watching beneath him slowly ebbing away. Small, despised, rejected, reduced to a mere political spectacle of the powers at work in the world, the powers he refused to be owned by, 
or use to conquer the world or to save himself. But he continued to use the power he had even there on that cross to to serve others, to, to serve all others. You heard his words. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive. Father. The power of this man was derived not from any body politic of the world, not even from religion used to beat others into submission. His his power was from God, our Father. And into God's hands alone did Jesus commit and lay down his life. Luke's gospel story has the spotlight fixed on this one Jesus his birth, his life among us, and his death. But Luke writes from the perspective, you remember, of one who knows that, to quote Frederick Buechner, the worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to the last thing. The last thing is the best. It's the power from on high that comes down into the world, that wells up from the rock-bottom worst of the world, like, like a hidden spring. The last, best thing is the laughing deep in the hearts of the saints, sometimes our hearts even. Yes, you are terribly loved and forgiven. Yes, you are healed. All as well. Can you believe it? You want to believe it, for here we are today, here, gathered together in this space as his followers or as ones waiting to hear more about him. We're here beneath his now empty cross, for we too, like Luke, have heard the news that he is no longer dead, but has been raised to new life. But we too find ourselves watching and waiting still, and maybe even grieving the world that seems to have gone mad, unjust powers that dominate our narrative, shattered dreams, broken relationships, lost jobs, the new and sudden diagnosis of cancer, the child whose few months have been lived out mostly in the pediatric intensive care unit, the parent, the spouse, the partner, the child, the beloved friend who has died, choices made in the past that haunt us still in the present, the struggle to to just eke out another day of scrounging together enough food for rent, food 
warm clothing for the bitter cold. We too may be here grieving. And that is exactly why I think Luke tells us about those nameless, faceless people watching at the foot of the cross, their hope die away. I think they have no words because their grief, their, their lives represent all people who have ever heard his gospel story, even we here today, who find ourselves in the same position, not looking upon Jesus in jest, but as ones who, who desire to follow his way of just mercy and forgiveness, who strive to use the, the little power we've been given in the faithful service of others. And as ones who struggle to hold hope before us. And now, at times, find ourselves lost and alone. We are the face and ours the words of that voiceless crowd. Good news. Remember me, cries the one to Jesus, the one beside him who knows why he is lost and dying. Remember me. May this be our prayer as well. Jesus, remember me in my struggle. in my lostness. And friends, may we find assurance from the word of hope King Jesus speaks. Sister, brother, I've got you. The worst isn't the last thing about the world, it's the next to the last thing. And the last thing is best. So hold on. It won't be easy, but I am with you, and I will lead you into the land of the living. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. You can learn more about us at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to worship with us. We would love to welcome you and your family to worship. Have a great week.